Morning, everybody. All right. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, round two. We made it together down in the basement about a year ago, and uh, apparently it wasn't that bad, so good. <laughs> God works miracles all the time. Glad to be with you this morning. I want to share with you from the book of Romans chapter 5, and I want to look at a subject, the initiative of the Father. But before I do, I've got a logo that's up here. Um, tell I can look in the back. I've got to get my surroundings, y'all. But uh, this thing that we've got called the initiative in town uh, was born out of a lot of things, uh, and I'll say this, that your pastor helped foster a lot of this, especially as we were getting going. Uh, brother Allen is a good friend of mine. Uh, he is a brother. Uh, we, we have ridden through some pretty good waves in our time in ministry together, and also uh, since we've been apart, we, we've talked to one another and tried to encourage one another. But the initiative, and I'm going to just make this short and sweet, <clears throat> we're looking at Getting outside the walls of the church, and so much of where I grew up and how I grew up was you throw a sign up, people will come to the church, and that's how we treated it. But God didn't call us to stay insular and to stay inside. He called us to be outside the walls, to take the initiative to go out and to share the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. We do that through service, and we do that through the opportunity to help build neighborhoods into community again. And we've been doing this for a couple years now. Uh, we've started to see a little bit of traction, took a little time. We've hit a little bit of a lull this summer, to be honest. Uh, a lot of things, busyness and uh, different things going on with the workers we've had. But we have seen God do some things simply by taking initiative and going out and doing things. Instead of waiting on opportunities to come to us, we're going out, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. And uh, that's the goal of the Initiative Project. Now that you've had that little commercial, let's dive into the Word of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through verse 11 this morning. And the Word says this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through, who, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Lord, speak through your word today. And Lord, as the video just said, to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at this text and... Romans chapter 5 verse 8 was a, a very, I guess, driving force in what we began to do with the initiative project. When we first sat down and we began to think about this, this was the verse that came to mind. And, and we looked at that as the core verse in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love. And the thing is that doing ministry is messy. There's no doubt about that, right? If we really truly do ministry, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be clean. Why? Because sin has broken this world. The world is broken by sin. We're broken by sin. Our bodies are broken by sin. Uh, and everything that we look around, any, any joy we find in the world, there's going to be something we're going to find that's just not right. And that's just because this world is set up to one day face the ultimate judgment of God because of sin and its brokenness. So therefore, if we're going to do ministry in the world, we're going to face a lot of broken folks, a lot of broken homes, a lot of broken situations, a lot of messiness. But even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the initiative of the Father. Why did he take the initiative to send his son 
as a sacrifice for our sin. Well, let's look at a few things, and we'll kind of jog through this text rather quickly this morning. In the first couple of verses we read in verse 6 and 7, we read about a human helplessness. Now, nobody wants to be honest that we're helpless. Nobody wants to say, well, I can't do that or I need help. Because why? It, it makes us look weak. It makes us look less than. It makes us feel less than when I have to say I have help. And, and if anybody that knows me knows that I'm stubborn enough that I will go until I'm bleeding or until I've about taken everything apart. When I try to fix something, uh, water heater, case in point, <clears throat> recently. Yeah, that was an extra beach trip that went down out the window. But anyway, um, I will do everything I can to try to take care of something myself. And when I do, what happens? I finally get to the point of, we've got to call the plumber. Bad thing is, i got a good friend that can do it a whole lot faster for a nominal fee. And emergency room fees, you know, that kind of balances out, right? Anyway, I'll try not to be too silly today, but, but it's, it's the truth that we, we don't want to be helpless. But the fact is, and the Word of God confirms this, we are helpless. And for centuries, what we look through the, the Scripture, there was a short-term system put into place for mankind to be at peace with God, to have absolution of their sins temporarily. And, and these short-term sacrifices were not effective. It was a permanent statute that didn't have a permanent effect. Let's go to the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 16, verse 29 through 34. And this is where we first see this mandate of sacrifice, of atonement. This will be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and do not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. So this is what was set into place. And notice, it is a permanent statute, but you got to do it every year. It's not good enough. Why? Because the hand of man had to be involved in it. We had to present something before God to try to appease his wrath because of our sin, because of our brokenness. And we're helpless. Why? Because it never was anything permanent. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 25, it talks about the permanence of the sacrifice of Christ. But listen to what it says. <clears throat> For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with the blood that is not his own. What Christ did took care of what we couldn't do ourselves. Why? Because we have no ability to satisfy the requirements of our sins before God, to be able to be made righteous before God, to be justified before God. We cannot do that. And we all want to do things that we think makes God happy. Now listen, I want to be obedient to God as much as anybody. I want to be found pleasing to God as much as anybody in the room. But any amount of righteousness that I try to do is not going to have the effect that it needs. I have to have something more. Why? Because of what verse 7 reminds us. 
that none are righteous. It's a condemning truth. In Psalm 14, 3, they've all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. In Isaiah 64, 6, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us like a, wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Go to the New Testament, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we think about that last verse in Romans, and we use it so often in sharing the gospel, it basically says there's a line of holiness that we're trying to reach that we can't reach. We can't hit the mark. Nobody can meet that mark. Why? Because it's the holiness of God. So much is made of God's love. And thank God for his love. Thank God that we have mercy and that we have love we can rely on. But there's something that's even greater that we've got to latch on to, and that is the holiness of God. Before he is love, he is holy. Because he is holy, he is love. He defines love, but he is not defined by love. He's defined by holiness. And that's why our righteousness, our good deeds, is not enough. People want to park on the love of God without the holiness of God, and we can't do that. It's because of his holiness that he shows his love. It's what makes him God. It's what makes him creator. It's what makes him Yahweh. It's what makes him Lord. We're helpless on our own. That's why God the Father took the initiative to send his son Jesus to die for us as a sacrifice for our sins. But in verse 8 and 9, it spells it out a little more in the merciful love of the Father. We just sang about this a few minutes ago. Merciful love. Why do we need mercy? What about love requires mercy to be involved? Well, it indicates to me that there is a quality in that person, the recipient, that's unlovable. Think about that. When we think about the ministry we're trying to do, there are people that diminish and pretty much cast these folks aside that we're working with. And I had someone ask me before, why do you spend so much time in the lower income family uh, realm and and the projects or in the different places where you're not going to see people who have as much stuff? Why do you spend so much time there? Well, because nobody else is, honestly. You know, I I think this, every person needs to hear the gospel. Somebody told me before, said, well, you know, rich people need to hear it too. I said, yeah, they do. And if that's your calling, go do it. But this is a calling and a burden on my life. Why? Because I have been shown mercy. And it is up to me as a follower of Jesus Christ to demonstrate that mercy to other people. Why? Because he did it for us. We just read it in verse 8. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love demonstration that Jesus gave us was one that no other person on this planet can do. John 3, 16, we know it well. We learn it as children. If you've been in church any amount of time, probably the first verse you ever heard was John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's the love of God that that sent Jesus Christ, that brought on the physical manifestation of God in the form of the son, Jesus. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, I'm going to kind of park on something for just a second a lot of times we take the word of God and we try to apply it to situations that may not necessarily tie to the context I mean I appreciate the sentiment when we talk about Memorial Day and we talk about people offering sacrifices and I thank God for our military every day but I'm going to tell you I'm not going to put John 15 13 with that why because it's elevated to so much more of a level than any sacrifice any human being has ever made save Jesus Christ 
Jesus Christ demonstrated a love that no one else can demonstrate. People demonstrate sacrifice, but the mercy that we find, why? Because he's the ultimate judge. He's the one that has the right to condemn his creation that he made and and to pretty much obliterate us. But because of his mercy, he demonstrated his love by his death on the cross. Now, for some of us sitting here today, like this is old hat, we know this. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what the source of our ministry is. It's not to grow numbers in our church. It's not to, to grow our budgets and to do things like that. It is to reach people with a truth that God wants the whole world to know. That he loved us in his mercy. You think about this in any relationship you've ever been in. You've got to have a little mercy. I'm going to give you real life. We've been married 15 years. You know why we've been married 15 years? A little mercy from over there. If my wife didn't show me mercy, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Because I'm dumb. For somebody to be so smart, I'm dumb. Why do you say you're so smart? Well, I did graduate with a college degree. I managed to get a professional engineering license. I could solve a problem or two. Make a lot of people mad in the process because it deals with the highways. Don't talk to me after church about it, by the way. I ain't here to do that today. Monday, 8 to 5, through Friday, 8 to 5. You can get me. But no, I've been a little bit goofy this morning, I understand. But it's mercy that makes love work, real love. Think about when you get married. We think about fairy tales. And we had this discussion amongst several of us. We've got some young college kids in our group that are trainees, and they're all talking about what they expect out of their relationships and their lives. And I looked over at one of the other guys. I said, it ain't no fairy tale, y'all. <laughs> I thought y'all would know this by now. I said, it's hard work. Why? Because it requires you to step outside of your comfort and out of your own desires and your own selfishness to be able to love someone else. That's how it works. And it, it involves a lot of mercy. Think about that in terms of a holy God with our sin before him. That's the kind of love that was demonstrated through Christ. Our lives, our sinfulness never warranted the mercy of God. But that's the beauty part of it. It's like grace. It's unmerited favor. And in that merciful love, we're justified because of what Christ did. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 Ties into verse 9 that we looked at. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, our sin puts us at odds with God. Why? Because the holiness of God cannot exist within the same bounds as sin. Holiness just will not tolerate sin. So there had to be something else. So the love of Christ and his death on the cross fulfilled that need. And it justified us before the Father. Think about it in legal terms. Think about it if you stand before a judge, and I've had the privilege to do this once. <clears throat> Thought I was going to get to it again this morning. My wife even made me, reminded me of that. Said, remember about 11 years ago, you got a ticket on the way to go preach in Huntsville? <laughs> yeah, doing 80 and a 65, coming down a hill. Blue lights came on. It was glorious. And I had a friend that was the judge that was going to be presiding over this. And I thought I'd ask a simple question. I didn't realize he was not going to say anything outside the courtroom. And I asked him about driving school. Bear with me for just a second. And uh, he asked me, what was the speed limit? And I told him, how fast were you going? And all he did was go, just tell me something. So I thought, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to ask. I've known Judge for a while. 
And I'm going to ask for driving school and go on. Well, before he even begins, I feel like he looked right dead at me. He saw I was on the docket and said, if you were not driving faster than 79 miles per hour, you can ask for driving school and we will dismiss your ticket. 80 in a 65, one mile an hour over. And to hear the state of Alabama versus Philip Ronnie Day, I went, oh, that's just ugly. And I went up there because I've known, like I said, I've known Judge for a while. And I, I did youth work with his son. His son was the, the Methodist student minister next door to us, basically. And, and I get up there, and he goes, your charge was this. How do you plead? And I just thought, you know, there's so many things I could say right now. I'm like, Judge, if, if you give me driving school, I'll take care of this. I was, was going to say, can we talk later? But simply, guilty. Pay you fine. Get out of here. You know what justified me before the court, before the state? When that fine got paid. Think about that. <clears throat> Think about the enormous sin debt that the Bible tells us that we incur in our lives. And think about what Christ did, how he justified us. He paid the debt. I cannot pay the debt. I can't even pay Jesus back. It's not even like a loan I can pay back. Because it was out of his riches, out of his love, out of his mercy that I'm justified before the Father. I have peace with the state of Alabama because I paid a $200 fine. I have peace with God because of what Jesus paid on the cross. That's the message people need to hear. Hey, you, you can't be good enough. You'll never be good enough. And that's okay. Because Christ, because Christ paid the debt through his merciful love. We're justified before the, the judge, the Father. Nevertheless, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, excuse me, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. You know what gets me is even as a saved, born-again believer, since I was a young child, I still feel like I have to measure up. And when I fall short... And when I sin, and I recognize it, I sit there and I'm just like, man, you, you can do better than this. And, and there are times that I'll get to the place of humility that I'll say, God, I don't even know why you put up with me still. I, I keep messing this up. The works of the law are not what justifies me. My purity is not what justifies me. Now, I'm not saying go out and just commit sin like crazy. Because let me tell you, you're not going to grow in a relationship with the Father. There's got to be some repentance. There's got to be some sorrow over sin. But what I am saying is that that's the beauty of the mercy and love of God. We rest on the righteousness of Jesus. And because of that, and because of that justification, verse 10 and 11, we see reconciliation. Why did God send his son to die for our sins? Why did he take that initiative? We're helpless on our own. He has mercy and love and abundance. And he wanted to reconcile his creation to himself. Any of you guys ever seen the three circles on how you can you share the gospel? First circle is God's design. What was it? It was perfection. Uh, perfection. <laughs> Sand Mountain came out in me. Y'all bear with me. Perfection. A perfect relationship with his creation. He wanted a perfect relationship with us. That's why he created us. 
But what happened? Sin. Second circle is brokenness. And it's got all these little squiggly lines because what happened? Because of sin, we've been trying to fill a hole in our souls with anything and everything. We try to fill it with religion. Go to church, be a part of a church, sing songs, do good works, even pray. We try to fill it with substances. We try to fill it with entertainment. We try to fill it with good deeds even. But nothing would work except one thing, the third circle, the gospel. And when we hear the gospel, when we realize the gospel, we understand exactly what's at stake. We repent and we believe it. And what happens? We work to recover and pursue that first circle we talked about. God's design, that relationship with him, to be reconciled with him. You ever been at odds with somebody that really meant a whole lot to you? It's not fun. Not a fun place to be. It's misery. It's misery to feel like that a relationship that was so strong could be destroyed just within a few minutes of a disagreement or one act of um, just pretty much relationship treason is the only way I know how to put it you know that's how it feels I've got a friend of mine right now the, a co-worker that I'm, I'm trying my best to to help reconcile a relationship because you know on both sides I got two friends here and they're they're great workers in what we do and while we're all about the business I, I hate to see a relationship go sour especially one as strong as that was that friendship and some would say well it wasn't that strong to begin with Somebody in the room, though, has to decide they're going to take that step forward and take that chance to restore and to reconcile. I had a, uh, a strain on a relationship, a family relationship, for almost a decade. And the last two years of that decade, I was heavily convicted, go make it right. Go make it right. Take that step and make it right. <clears throat> well, as always, because I'm slow to do that and hesitant, want to overthink it a little bit, God started taking that step for me. He started making some things happen and opened the door. And I'll never forget knocking on the door that first time to look a grandfather in the eye for the first time in 10 years and talk about things that we hadn't talked about in a while. I didn't know what I was going to find on the other side. And we talked and we reconciled. And for about the last two years of his life, we had somewhat of a better relationship than we did before. It, it was never like it was when I was a child and, and late teens and early 20s. It was never that strong. <clears throat> but to be at peace was fantastic. Me and my sin, I cannot take that step to God to reach into his holiness and to reconcile with him. He had to step to me. He did that through the cross. <clears throat> but when he reconciles us, you know, the best part about that same relationship I'm talking about was it breathed new life into both of us. No longer was that heavy chain of unforgiveness <clears throat> and hurt feelings weighing us down. We were reconciled. Think about this. When we come to Jesus Christ, before we get there, there is a, a, a real recognition of our sin and how damaging it was to our relationship with God. 
That's when you're going to see true repentance is when you realize how damaging it really was. You want to fix that. But what happens? We repent and God breathes new life into us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. When I came to Christ, he worked me over, guys. I mean, he remade me. When we read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we're his workmanship. Did y'all guys do Spark Studios Bible School or did y'all do something else? Or have y'all done Bible School this year? All right. Let me just tell you about it then, if you didn't know. It was centered around Ephesians 2.10, and it was very artsy, and it was very, you know, not stuff I'm used to. Construction, that was my favorite one, right, you know? But it, it focused in on how we are the workmanship of God, that God is working on us. And let me just say this. If you've got breath in your body, you are still being worked on by God the Father. There is still hope for you and for me. As long as I'm upright, no matter how bad I mess things up, God's grace is still working to make me what he wants me to be. And that is encouragement enough for me to pick back up and keep going. I I don't know what the temperature of the room is today as far as our spiritual temperature. There may be somebody in this room that feels like I have messed it up so bad there is no way I can come back. Here's the truth. God's still working on you if you're still breathing right now. If I'm able to look you in the eye and there's a pulse, you have hope. And God wants to do something great with your life. Maybe you're that person that you bought into religion. I'm a church member. I'm okay. I came. I prayed a prayer. Can I dispel something? It's not the prayer that saves you. We put so much emphasis on repeat after me. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having people repeat a prayer, but what's more important is what you do right inside of here. I can tell you the moment I took the first step forward is when I got saved, is when I let go of my heart and said, God, come into mine. Come into me. Change me. We have a new life. All these things in the past, and and unfortunately, people have longer memories than God does. Now, God knows everything, but when it comes to our sin, you know where it is, right? Far as the east is from the west, in the deepest depths of the sea, never to be recovered again. And so whatever shame, whatever guilt you may be dealing with or hiding, know this, that if you're a child of God, if you trust him, that sin's handled and dealt with. And while you're trying to walk in a new way and in a new life, people may not forget, but God already has. He's wiped that away. And he's working to make you what he wants you to be. He's growing you in his righteousness. And then with that, in verse 11, it says, And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have hope. We have a new hope because of Jesus. We have a wonderful hope and a wonderful story to share. We, we did a class at church just a few weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about having Jesus conversations, engaging people in conversations about the Lord. And um, one of the things we talked about, the statistics show that a lot of people are interested in something that we have 
hope. Four-letter word, hope. Because look around. Things are not getting any better. And by the way, this study was done pre-COVID. Can you imagine what it would look like now? People are begging for something to believe in, something to have hope in. I'm going to quote Penn Teller, uh, uh, Penn Gillette, Penn Teller, huh? Penn Gillette um, did a video back in 2009, and he did a, uh, I saw it on Crackle, one of those apps. So if you're looking for it, that's where you can find it. And he sat there, and he, you could tell he's just undone himself after a show. His hair is all a mess, and he's just really laid back. And he talked about getting a Gideon Bible after one of the shows, and he said the guy was very complimentary. And he said it wasn't that empty flattery that you're going to get from a lot of people. He said you could tell the guy was genuine. He really enjoyed certain parts of the show. And he said, he gave me this Gideon Bible, and he put his name and his number in there, and he, he put some pages to reference. He said, I want to talk to you about faith. And he said, now, he said, I know there's no God. This is what Penn says. I know there's no God. But how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about this that you believe is hope? He said, I have no problem with proselytizing people's words he used. He said, I have no problem with that. Not a problem at all. He said, if you believe it, you ought to be trying to get people to join in. He said, doesn't mean I'm going to join, but how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about this hope that we have? Even lost people can see there is a value in that word hope. <clears throat> Romans 15, 13. <clears throat> Oops. says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 through 20. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hope, hold of the hope that is set before us. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus is entered, as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's go back to verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. What's that? That's entering into the presence of God. Because the hope we have in Christ, we can be in God's presence. The reason we're able to sing today and experience the presence of God and His Holy Spirit is because of the hope that we have in Christ. That's why we should sing. That's why we should celebrate. We have something that the rest of this world is starving for. You, know, you want to know what really drives us in the initiative project? It's being able to share hope to people who don't see a lot of hope. It's being able to give them an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. And guys, I don't care what neighborhood you go to. Probably the best place to start be your own, to be honest. The, the street that I live on is probably the best place for me to start. <clears throat> in truth, Where, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, any place that you have a circle of people is a great place to start with sharing that hope. Why? God took the initiative to give me hope. 
He wants us to take the initiative to share hope with other people. Without Christ, we have no hope. And that first step that God took, that initiative, was to reconcile us to himself. Now, what are we going to do? There's two things we're looking at here this morning. One, what are you going to do personally? We're faced with the word of God. We're faced with the truth of God. That we have hope. We have mercy. Because we can't do it on our own. If you've never entered into that relationship and experienced that hope, I want to invite you to do that today. How do we do that? It's very simple. It's simply, we recognize who Jesus Christ is. We recognize his purpose for coming. He's the son of God. He came to die for our sins so that we could have peace with God. He rose on the third day so that we could have hope of eternal life. But we also recognize our need to follow him. Not just pray a prayer, sign a card, become a church member, but to daily follow him and let him transform our lives. That's the first thing we got to do. And if you're one of those folks that hasn't done that today, I encourage you to come. We're going to have the invitation here in just a minute. I'm going to pray and these guys are going to come up. And Mike and Bob are going to be down here to receive you. But maybe for the second of us, it's those of us today that are right there on the edge of being able to experience the fullness of God's grace through serving him. I listened to a song and it's, it's, it's a very heavy Christian rock song called Take Me Over by the group Red. And it, it starts the course with, I'm standing on the edge, take me over. Sometimes taking you over means stepping outside of comfort. I, I'm, a, I'm an ordained Southern Baptist pastor. I got a certificate on the wall. I've been a student minister. And what am I doing now? I told somebody, I said, I went backwards. <laughs> I'm a pastor, student minister, field missionary. God sometimes wants to, to challenge our way of thinking so that we learn to trust him more and to see him do even greater things. Anything that's been accomplished in that ministry has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. But getting to be a part of it and getting to share that hope and taking the initiative to share the love of Jesus Christ has meant more to me. And it has shown me more about who God is than anything else I've ever done. And I've loved every bit of it. Let me back up. Some days have not been great. But I've loved watching God work in every phase. How about that? Is that fair? That's fair. I'll answer the question for you, okay? It's fair. But today, church, you have a tremendous opportunity with an area that is exploding with growth. Can I challenge you to do this? Worry less about getting them in the doors here. Worry more about reaching them where they are and let God do that work. It takes the pressure off of us. We just go be faithful and go love on people. Show them the mercy of God. Watch what he'll do. And I promise you, he'll add to your group. He will. He'll add to your numbers. Because you'll find an even stronger, growing family of faith when we go outside the walls taking the initiative. God stepped outside of heaven, took the initiative so that we could have peace with him and hope because of him. I'm going to pray this time as these come and prepare to lead us in our invitation. Lord, thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you for the challenge that it gives us. Thank you for the hope that it gives us. And God, more than anything else, I pray that we've heard more of you and less of me today. I pray that somehow, some way in this time, that you would just speak to hearts. Lord, for the ones who've never entered into a relationship with you. And God, I have no doubt this sermon, this message, this scripture, everything was directed for people today who need to come into a relationship with you for the first time. To be able to to know your peace and to know your hope. Lord, it may be people that have been satisfied with being church members and doing religion. God, it's more than religion and we know that. Move mightily on the hearts that are affected in that way. Lord, it may be people that feel like that they've been overcome by sin. They can never just get it right and they're discouraged and Satan is keeping them beat down. Lord, I pray that you encourage them today in the mercy that you have. And in the reconciliation and the righteousness that we have through Christ. Lord, it doesn't all have to rest on me. You expect my obedience. But Lord, you work in spite of my failure as well. Lord, there may be somebody today that's being called to a unique way of ministry. You may be calling this entire church into thinking about some different things. I don't know, but God, you do. And God, I just pray that whatever your call is, that you lead people today. Lead them, and I pray for an open response. But God, you're in charge of it all, and we're going to trust you with this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. While we all stand together, we're going to have an opportunity to come. If you need to respond, you do that this morning while we sing.